Welcome to the Think Education podcast. Uh, my name is Chris Hill. Today I am joined by a colleague of mine from Malaysia. Um, from uh, feels like a lifetime ago, uh, Professor Perry Hobson, who and neither one of us are, are in Malaysia anymore. So I guess there is a there is a gap there. But uh, Perry is the director of the BOAS Academy for Tourism at Breda University of Applied Sciences in the Netherlands, and previously professor of tourism at Sonoma University in Malaysia, as I, as I mentioned. Uh, Perry holds a bachelor's degree from Oxford Brookes University in the UK, a master's from the University of Massachusetts in the USA, and a PhD at Southern Cross University in Australia, as you sort of worked your way around the, uh, the English-speaking <laughs> higher education sector. Um, Perry has been editor-in-chief of the A-ranked SSCI-indexed Journal of Vacation Marketing for over two decades, and is a board member of the International Center of Excellence in Hospitality and Tourism Education Accreditation Body. Perry was past president of, and I never be able to say, is it, how do you pronounce it? A, APAC Chiri? APAC Cry? APAC? You're close. Really? Yeah. Really? yeah. It's APAC Cree. APAC okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that would have been a very boring podcast, just me well, trying to spell, spell something out. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> a lifetime fellow of the Council of Australasian Universities for Tourism and Hospitality Education in Australia and an honorary fellow of the CHME, which is the Council for Hospitality Management Education in the UK, um, which I suppose means um, you've stayed in a lot of hotels in your professional career, right? Is that, uh, is that about right? <laughs> I think that'd be a bit of an understatement, actually, but yes, I have. I've <laughs> been on one too many aeroplanes as well, and so, yes. And in fact, we catch you today in between you just saying you've just come back from Thailand, you're in the Netherlands, you're off to the States, from the States, you're back in Australia. Um, yeah, so it's a pleasure to have you on, uh, on the podcast, whichever time zone your brain is currently uh, occupying. Uh, it's, it's always good to, good to see you. Um, actually, it's not that long since we last saw each other, right? We, you were in Dubai um, speaking at a conference a little while ago. I think was was the last time we, yes, we saw each other. Uh, that was back in uh, that was back in November when I was at uh, the Emirates Academy. That's uh, right. That's right. So it was good to see you and catch up after COVID had been a long time. So it was really nice to uh, catch up and have a conversation with you again. Absolutely, and and actually, what you know, some of the stuff that we were talking about then has you know <laughs> has been on my mind a lot since we had that conversation, and it's you know what we're we're going to talk about today, and it's. I don't know. This it's an issue within academia that I, either we're not aware of, or we are aware of, and we don't want to think about it, or we just don't. We just I don't know. But it's it's conferences, which is kind of the lifeblood of a lot of of you know how we as academics, <laughs> on the positive side, engage in intellectual exchange, and then on the other, engage in academic tourism. Right? There's there's somewhere in between the the two realities. And you were telling me yeah, a deeply, right. deeply disturbing story about um, the nature of some conferences, right? And, and almost an industry within, within conferences itself. Yeah, that's right. And I think this is something that I sort of stumbled into, to be quite honest, um, and uh, didn't realise the, the scale and, and scope of it. Um, you know, within my academic area, um, many years ago, we, we launched the first... Uh, degree in, in convention and events management in Australia. That was about 15, 16, 18 years ago, something like that. And, you know, 
um, as you said, you know, always saw conferences as a very legitimate form of academic pursuit and industry pursuit, etc. And it was only when um, I, when I was at Taylor's University in Malaysia, I was uh, I had a colleague of mine who came along and said, uh, "Look, I've, I've written up a, sto- a story. I just want to let you know I was recently at a conference in uh, New Orleans." So I said, "Oh, that's great." Now here's a colleague of mine from my medical school. And um, so I used to put out a weekly newsletter called Global Matters. So I said, that's great. Look, we'll just write up. Uh, so as long as you've got one photograph and we'll write up a paragraph and just say what you were doing there and et cetera, it's a good to go. So he sent me this paragraph of information, which to be honest, wasn't particularly well written. So I thought, oh, I'll have to do a bit of a rewrite, put in some links to the conference so that people can see, etc. And um, so he gave me, so as I was doing a bit of an editing job, I happened to type in the name of the conference, and it was uh, by a company called uh, Allied Academies, if I remember correctly. And um, as I was doing that, um, I got clicked, uh, somehow hit the wrong button, got clicked out, had to do a Google search for it again. And what came up was a news story from the um, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, CBC, about the Royal Canadian Mounted Police doing an investigation into this company who had been running conferences, which they termed fake uh, conferences, uh, in a hotel near um, Toronto Airport. So I thought, well, that's strange, because my guy's gone to a medical conference run by these same guys by an airport hotel by New Orleans. So then I started doing a little bit more digging and did more digging and discovered that this company was running not just one or two, but hundreds. And then it turned out, as I dug further, thousands of conferences. And um, Allied Academies was claiming at that time to uh, be based in the UK, although its phone number was in the USA. Um, And then I started doing some more digging into it. And the address was in a road that I'm very familiar with, right in front of the British Museum in London. So I actually went down and tracked this particular business down to discover that the business is no more than a literally a P.O. box in that particular building, Tavistock Chambers, then when did further digging into the companies who are registered, discovered they were close to a thousand companies registered in that particular building, managed to find out the name of the company and then discovered it was owned by another company called Omics. And Omics at that time was based in uh, Hyderabad in India. And uh, they run literally thousands of conferences a year and were then eventually picked by the, uh, uh, by the American government. Uh, and had been fined several million dollars as a result. And, you know, it was a bit of a rabbit hole to start going down to just find out the scale and the scope of what was being organised behind what seemed to be, on the face of it, uh, quite legitimate conferences, but actually seemed to be really a massive money-making machine for various uh, organisations such as uh, such as the ones I've mentioned. So these, uh, you know, really got me concerned about what was happening. And uh, so, you know, talking with you about it and with others about it, many people, I think, are not aware. And, and clearly they target certain areas. Uh, medical is a particular area they target. And that's often because professionals in those areas need to go to so many conferences to keep up their professional registrations. And uh, these medical conferences in particular always seem to pick very nice locations uh, as well. And um, this seems to be the the modus operandi that we've got into. And many academics, either for uh, real and sometimes, you know, inadvertently, uh, assume that these are actual real conferences where the papers have been reviewed. 
But in many cases, they're not being reviewed by anyone at all. Everything's accepted. Um, in fact, the modus operandi can be they can run several different conferences at the same hotel at the same time. So it seems like there's a whole lot of different people there. So it's quite an illusion trick as, uh, as well that's been created. So yes, Chris, it's, it's a really interesting area for us to, uh, to, to look at and be very concerned about. And frankly, any story that involves um, the Mounties investigating is a good one, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's an interesting oh, twist. Yeah. Well, the Mounties, they're all supposed to get their man, as the old saying goes, right? Yeah. So, um, but in this case, it was the, uh, I think it was the um, FTC in America, actually, I think, that the Trade Commission that had got their man on that one. And uh, again, actually, if you look into the story again in a bit more detail, um, it, it's an interesting uh, story again of, of, of how Omics and other companies have got started. But it's just not conferences because it also then goes into journals. Um, because many of those conferences publish proceedings, then that, that leaks into journals. And so that obviously looked at, got me looking in further into the whole situation of fake and predatory journals. And, you know, that situation obviously had taken off significantly as well. So, you know, the two sit somewhat hand in hand, not entirely, but very closely hand in hand as well. Because it's, it's funny, because I remember when you, you know, when obviously we first talked about this and you told me, oh, my colleague's been to a fake conference. And I couldn't quite work out how that happens, because if you put a gro- group of people in a room and the group of people talk about their papers... How can it be a fake conference? As in, in the sense, like it actually happened. You know, it wasn't like your colleague pretended yep. he'd gone somewhere, right? And and was sort of uh, you know claiming yeah. you know some sort of representation. He'd actually been somewhere, obviously with the cost involved. Um, he'd he'd presented yep. his work, presumably, um, and um, and so it's 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 a real conference in the sense that you know people have said stuff and they've asked questions and presumably there's been coffee and that's kind of the, the main remit, right? Um, but, it, but it has no... It, it's, it's such a curious area because I'm, I'm, you start to think back to your own CV and think to the conference, like, well, I know I was physically there and I saw banners and I know I said stuff out loud and, you know, somebody did or did not ask me a question. Um, but it's, it's a worrying... I mean, it's obviously a very worrying reality, particularly as you say when... I mean, in my, my context here in, in the UAE where we're, we're still... Uh, um, I guess a nascent, you know, emerging research um, uh, environment. You know, it's there's a lot of money being invested in research, but you know, many of our universities are still early in the, those stages. But there's a lot of pressure on, particularly early career academics, to publish. Um, and um, it's not just conferences, but I think, as you say, we get a lot of pressure. People wanting to having to pay to publish in journals, which is something I I, I think I disagree with on you know on principle, um, even if it's a a reputable journal, you know, I, I think it's, uh, I think that's a problem. Um, but that sort of, as you said, and predatory, I think is absolutely the right word. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, is it, is it inevitability, do you think? You know, just the private sector finding a gap in, in what we in academia are, are sort of pushing people towards? Or is this, is this a, you know, something else? Well, look, I think it's a, it's a couple of good points there, Chris, and I think, you know, I've often reflected, uh, like you just said, um, well, if I was there and if I, if, if, as long as I went to three coffee breaks, I must have been to a conference. Yeah. And um, look, I think the, the issue in, in certainly is the question about whether those papers have actually been looked at yeah. and properly reviewed. And, you know, let's be honest, many conferences also face a challenge there because the conference only becomes 
viable, even if a legitimate university is offering it, if they've got enough papers uh, and therefore presenters to cover their fixed costs, etc. So there's always that that um, that element there. But in this particular case, um, the intention is to clearly actually make sure there is a large amount of profit that comes from the conferences. Yeah. They very rarely, if ever, um, review anything that comes in. And you have to remember, in some academic areas, the conferences are actually held at very high esteem. It, you know, in certain academic areas, it's, it's all published papers. But in very fast-moving areas, um, and just think about AI at the moment, mm. you know, no one's going to wait for a paper on AI. It's going to be published in three years' time. No. The world has changed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what you do see in certain other areas is this is very fast-moving. And, and medical, the same. Again, you've got life-saving technologies, uh, things that are moving ahead. So, in fact, conferences can play a much more important role in different disciplines than you, you and I may, may historically see that, and, and certainly in other areas. So there's, there's that element not to forget uh, in, that co- in, in, this, in this conversation. The other thing I think we have to think about is what's happening with those papers and what some of the... Um, uh, you know, conference organisers realised was that then, as you mentioned, there was this question about the, the pay to publish. Now, the pay to publish, you know, has been something I've had to face as a, as a journal editor. And, you know, I work with a work with a large publisher, Sage, for for, for many years, and of course, our work uh, there in the case there was no fee for the, for the authors, but many of our authors were being required by their funding bodies to have their materials made open access. Right. And therefore, they would actually pay. We became essentially became a hybrid journal where you didn't have to pay. But of course, at the end of the day, someone is paying. Mm. So the universities were paying a, a considerable amount to have access to that journal. And, you know, the worry there as an editor often is that um, whilst we've got costs that, that we're covering with our, with our publishers, etc., you know, in order to access that information, there's a very high bar to get in. And if you were to download many academic papers, you could pay anything north of 25, 50, hundreds of dollars. So if you're in poorer parts of the world, being able to access that information is very difficult, mm. if not impossible. And therefore, one of the problems is the only information they can access is information that's freely available on the web. And this is where the free predatory journals kind of come in. Because that's what you can see. Sure. So this sets up another ball rolling, and this other ball that's rolling is the next problem you end up with. So I often get papers in my journal, which were coming from Africa, and one of the comments from many of my reviewers was, well, it hasn't got the latest references from the top journals, et cetera, et cetera. And typically that was because the authors, I knew the authors in those locations, would not be able to access those expensive journals. The headache was they were able to access free to air, if I can put it that way, uh, journals, open access. And some of those are questionable. And therefore, the information that they're uh, relying on and, and citing and questionable is, is questionable. So even the foundations of their paper are built on questionable foundations. Hmm. And that becomes worrying. And, and now we're in the next twist of this, of this interesting cycle, which is what can AI see? Yeah. So at the moment, you know, a lot of AI is not able to see journals behind paywalls because they can't access that information. So when you're asking AI, I've got a question for you about, you know, whatever the topic might be, you know, mental health issues might be 
tourism experiences, whatever it is, they're only, all that AI can access is stuff that is freely available. And the question is, how did that get to be freely available? Mm-hmm. So it may be legitimate, it may be paid open access, but it may be, again, published in predatory journals where no one reviewed it, etc. You know, and probably the most famous story of that is the, the story of, um, you know, the, the academic, I think, who published a paper with, I think it was six or seven words, I can count up correctly, um, who used those same six or seven words, just repeated the same words 5,000 times or whatever it was, up to 5,000 words, and got the paper published. Hmm. And again, he was just frustrated because all he wanted was to get off the conference emailing list. So he wrote the paper that said, get me off your fucking, excuse my language, uh, email list, <laughs> the mm. six words, words that it was, and just repeated them again and again. And then got the paper published in a journal. Uh, later, another uh, academic, I think if I remember correctly, in Australia did that, um, to get the paper published in a predatory journal. And even got an excellent comment that came back. Huh. And again, I've, I've tracked all this down, seen this on the web. It's, it's quite amazing that these sorts of things happen but that's the reality of also what's going on and we, and we have to be aware of it yeah i mean and it's it's obviously it's a layered situation but i mean the point you're you're making about about access i mean it's this is again i reference you know that, that i work in the uae and and a lot of what we see we've t- i've talked about this on on previous podcasts with other colleagues a lot of the issue that we see in sort of emerging research environments is the perceived lack of credibility underpinned by the lack of actual research conducted or the lack of research published. But those things are so intertwined because, you know, because research doesn't traditionally come from country X, we're less likely to publish research that comes from country X because it doesn't have a a foundation of credibility upon which, but that doesn't exist anyway. And, you know, many nations that, as you say, don't, potentially their their academics don't have access to up-to-date or paid research it simply reinforces that sort of sense of elitism and access, right? And, and even more so if, yep. if the thing that they yep. are able to access is then in itself seriously questioned from a, an academic integrity perspective. Like we, we are simply, you know, these, these private sectors are not actually clearly not supporting the development of anybody. They're simply widening the, the access point, but that access point... So in essence, we, we kind of have a, um, a safeguard, right? We have a gate, even though that gate is is completely focusing on the wrong thing, right? Well, yes, it, it, it is, and I think this is, you know, the, the academic system, I mean, let's be honest, if, if you created the traditional academic system of reviewing papers and, and how the system works, you'd look at it as being fundamentally flawed. I mean, after all, here is your university or my university that pays me to go and do some research. I do that research. I send it away uh, for free to a journal yeah. who then often gets their reviewers to review it for free at no cost. Yeah. And typically the people who review it don't get recognized by their university for the effort of doing the reviews. Yep. Who then send it back to the editor or the journal who are the two paid, if you like, uh, uh, actors in, in this whole little play, who then agree to publish the paper and then your university or my university is paying to get them it back to get back the information that we freely gave them in the first place. Yeah. I mean, if you put that up as a Harvard business case study model, you'd probably get an F minus and be sent away. Yeah. But <laughs> it's been a model that has persisted for an awful long time. 
And, you know, not obviously without its detractors and, and various companies like Elsevier, etc., have, have been in the spotlight for the massive amounts of profits that they have made. And various states in the U.S. have refused to take their journals. And, you know, this is an ongoing yeah, challenge. Yeah. But part of the problem has been we haven't yet come up with a better model. And uh, so it's all very well to criticize one model. But, you know, then you've got to say, well, this is the model we prefer. I think for, for me, one of the parts of this that's, that's missing or has been the way that universities have often not recognised the academic work that's put into that whole reviewing process because it's that part of it that's critical to the integrity. And yet uh, very few universities that I know of are actually rewarding their academics or recognising their academics for a lot of that work that's done in reviewing papers. Um, and so how do you make sure a system stays, you know, with its level of integrity when we're not doing making that recognition? So, you know, I think we also have to look at ourselves in the mirror a little bit and say, well, we're much as a, a, a creator of the problem yeah. as well. I mean, at the very least, you'd figure a, a higher education institution that's paid a researcher to conduct research that the researcher is <laughs> then given away that the university is then paid to get back could at the very least send that researcher to a fake conference. Just to close off the, the circle. <laughs> the loop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is. Uh, but again, I think, you know, sometimes we have to stand back and look at the whole system uh, and, 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 and be cynical about it as well uh, to see, you know, what works for whom. Um, but at the end of the day, if we really are trying to create um, new knowledge and, and, and improve our human situation, the planetary situation, find truth, all those uh, worthy laudatory goals, then, you know, these are some of the challenges that we're facing as, with the systems we've kind of got. And obviously technology is moving very fast ahead and we touched on the topic of AI again and, and, and how that will be a further challenge to the system as well. So... What what would you? I mean, obviously, you've you've looked into this in in a lot more detail um, than I would imagine most. What would your? I don't know if advice is the right word, but I mean, you know, for for those colleagues who are well, like you know, most of us, right? If we if we have if we're lucky enough to have access to conference funding, which is obviously not true for um, for many of us. Um, uh, what's your you know advice on how how we should be thinking about this or, or approaching this? I mean, are there are there is it is it as simple as you know just be wary of any conference that gives you automatic acceptance i mean you know are there things we could be looking out for because it's funny because i was thinking obviously there's a very big difference between what what would be an academic conference and what would be say a much broader conference so, i mean one of the reasons for example i i am unable to attend going global is because going global is not a peer reviewed conference Right. But going global right. is not supposed to be a peer-reviewed yeah. conference, right? Because it's, it's not an academic conference in the same, the same vein um, of maybe others I might want to attend. Um, so it's clearly not a fact that all conferences without peer review are fake, right? There, there, is, a, there is a distinct no, thing we're, we're looking not. at, right, within the academic sort of function, yeah. And I think that's, that's the challenge we sit on. And increasingly, as there's this discussion about... Um, universities having impact you know if you want to have impact with uh, practitioners probably the last place to go to is an academic conference yeah sure. um, you know you want to go to those industry uh, conferences and uh, be able to have a, a share a platform or be part of a, a discussion with people from the industry and 
therefore, as you said, uh, there is therefore also an inherent challenge in terms of that. And I think uh, as, as universities go forward on this and are trying to find their relevance in society, you know, it's very easy for us to get into our ivory tower, only talk to ourselves uh, and not engage. And I think this has been one of the challenges for um, uh, for the relevance of universities and will be going forward, is how do we get out of that and how do we fund our staff to actually be on the platforms in the industry, in leading industry conferences, particularly I'm thinking here of technology and so forth as well, you know, to, to, to give ourselves a, a platform for relevance. And um, so in terms of what would I advise people, that, that, that is a tricky one and, I, um, you know, because each academic area is quite different. But my suspicion is, is that most academic areas have, you know, professional bodies, associations uh, within the well-known that run certain conferences. Now, again, even those can get quite cliquey. So one of the challenges often, depending on the area you're in, is, well, I want to do something a bit different. I want to find a different audience. I want to connect with, with some other people. Um, how do I find that? And I think the biggest challenge is often for new researchers who are coming in. And, you know, when I was looking at the fake journals and uh, often even, dare I say, the poetry conferences, what they very cleverly do, and this is particularly the case of the journals, is they, they identify names which are very, very similar uh. to real journals. And they may switch one word around. And I was on a panel uh, not long ago talking about this issue with a, with a colleague, and uh, she heads up the Journal of um, Hospitality and Tourism Management, I think it was, if I remember correctly. And then I said, well, look, uh, let me talk to you about the Journal of Tourism and Hospitality Management. And she's like, what are you talking about? So I said, well, this journal. And I pulled up the, uh, their web page, et cetera. Now, um, you know, one word is all, it, it, it was a change of all it took. And then I found another one with an identical name. So the editor was completely unaware. And so you can find that will happen. And in the case of uh, webbing with Sage, we actually got our site, what they call hijacked. So you get what they call hijacked journals. So they will actually hijack the name, create the website. So in that case, the, uh, the author was writing to say, look, I've, I've had my paper accepted and I've paid the money. Yeah. And we're like, uh, so Sage were telling me the story about this. And they said, well, actually, um, first of all, we've never heard of your paper. Secondly, you don't have to pay to be published. This guy was most insistent. He had the, 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 the letter and everything else. It, he found another website which had mimicked uh, the journal's website and had been suckered in. So that's what we called uh, a hijack or what they call a mirror journal. So you're going to find a journal that mirrors an existing one that's out there. So again, I found in my presentation um, that I give on this one, I found three journals with exactly the same name. And I showed the three journals and I asked my audience always, I said, which is the real one and which are the two fakes? And virtually no one ever gets it right. Sure, yeah, yeah. So it's very difficult. And I suspect a lot of PhD students, you know, may be told by their supervisor, oh, go and find the Journal of Business and Economics and um, we'll put it in that one. Oh, okay. So they go off and looking for it. And guess what? In the old days, when you physically saw the thing on the shelf in the library, you had a bit of an idea what it was going to look like. But online, you just tap away and up comes something that sounds and looks like it. And away you go. It's got the right... Uh, logos or whatever that the people recognize and um uh suddenly you discover that uh, you've gone down the rabbit hole and when i gave a presentation on this in australia it was quite interesting 
um, talking about this because at the time I had a couple of hundred people in the room. No one admitted to me that they'd either been to a predatory or fake conference or been done by a predatory journal. What was interesting was at the coffee break afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> and that was when people pulled me aside and quietly told me their story. But no one wanted to admit it in front of everybody else. Yeah. Now, as I said, there are legitimate people who get scammed. There are, as the flip side of this is there are other people who are actively looking at, at that in a hope of building up their CV and hoping no one notices. And I've sat on various uh, uh, professorial uh, panels and I was going through one and I kept looking at every journal. I thought, well, this is right, but this one word is the wrong way around or this one title is just not as it would be. And sure enough, I did searches on them and uh, absolutely there they were. So they were all sort of designed to look, sound the same as the prestigious journals in my particular field. But uh, in fact, they were not the, uh, the real thing. And so this is how these organizations are working it. Yeah. And I mean, and, and as you say, it's, it's, if we, if we sort of stay on the side of the angels, it's not a surprise that people can be taken in by this. I mean, you know, the, the system being what it is, it's, and, and, and these being as clever as they are, it's, it's hard. And I mean, as you say, particularly with technology and AI, I mean, it's going to get more problematic. Um, oh. Uh, oh, sorry, is getting already. Yeah. Obviously, not. We're not talking future anymore. We're talking present. Um, yeah. So yeah. it's just, uh, it, yeah, it's just something to. I mean, as you say, it's you know, as we say, well, it is. It is to bear in mind. I mean, and, and there are people who've been, you know, Beale's list has been out there for a, a long time, and then the, the company I spoke to about earlier tried to shut him down. And uh, there's uh, various sites like Stop Predatory Journals and Stop Predatory Publishing. And a lot of organizations are identified there. So I would encourage everyone to look at those sorts of sites to see what's there. But again, they can open up and shut down overnight. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so even when you look at the list, literally, but by the following week, it can be completely redone. And, you know, just to give you another little story, um, as editor of the Journal of Vacation Marketing, I used to keep going getting this letter from this company uh, asking to buy the journal. And so I very politely wrote back the first time and said, look, I'm terribly sorry, but, uh, you know, JVM is owned by Sage. Uh, I'm not selling it. I'm, I'm the editor, uh, but I don't own it. So thank you very much. Thank you and good night. So routine. Anyway, the, the emails just kept coming. They just wouldn't stop. I tried to block it. It's, anyway, so in the end, uh, the email was coming from a particular place in West London. And I used to live in Acton in West London. So I know this place in Chiswick which was a supposedly a park it was coming from, and it supposedly had the name of the company underneath that. So I did a name, uh, a search of the company name to discover that the particular company name they were using had in fact been closed down. Another company with the virtue, again, the same name, but with one slight difference had been reopened. I then searched out to find out uh, who owned this company I then did a search of the directors, which you can conveniently do in the UK, so that's very easy. Did the director search, found out the uh, lady who owned the company, who also owned laundrettes and a few other things in London. Um, even was able to, from that to find her address. From her address, I was then able to do a Google Street View. And then I finally, after getting so frustrated having this thing sent, sent them back an email saying, would you please tell her to stop sending these emails to me? I really don't like the crazy paving that's outside her house in Dagenham. <laughs> and that was the only way I could get them to stop 
hassling me about selling the journal. So sometimes, you know, once they get their tentacles out, they are as persistent as you can, can imagine, because again, for them, it's just a volume game. And it doesn't matter whether you work in a bank scam, whether you're working in a gambling den in, in the Philippines. There was a case just the other week where 2,700 2, 2, people were found running um, uh, gambling scams there. Uh, you know, this is, this, this is, it becomes the same. And as long as you get people to part with money uh, for it, then there's an end, end goal in this. So this requires a little bit more thinking about than some of the other scams, but believe me, there are many people out there who will, who will find them and work with them. Yeah. So um, on, on that truly <laughs> uplifting note, um, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so I mean, it's, it's a, as you say, it's a case of just being as aware as we can and, and using common sense where we can and, and, and checking where we are able to, right? So, um, and, then, and then just pretending it's never happened to any of us and sort of moving forwards. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's but I'm sure many people have received, you know, emails from from organisations saying they want to publish your work or one thing and the other. And you know, as the old saying is, if it's too good to be true, it it, it often is. Um, the other one is to be very very mindful of um, the the naming of journals and be very careful and, and to check out closely the website to make sure the name is actually correct. Uh, that you're looking at, and that it's exactly the same name that's uh, that's being, uh, you know, of the journal. Yeah. Um, and then be, be 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 again, just approach everything with absolute caution. It's the only way I can suggest, because even the publishers are really struggling uh, to keep on top of some of the games that are bit, that are being played. And you know, this was reaching quite a crescendo before uh, COVID. And uh, as we come out of COVID, I'm sure they'll be getting back to work very, very rapidly. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for this. It's been been uh, a bit terrifying, but really, really interesting. Um, and uh, I appreciate you coming on my absolutely not in any way fake podcast. That um, we are two people talking, so it must have been real. <laughs> Although to be fair, it wasn't peer reviewed by anybody, so I'm I'm not I'm not entirely sure. Um, yeah. Somebody please leave a comment, and we'll count that as a peer review. Um, that'll that'll be close enough. Yeah. So thank you very much, Corey. Okay. Great to chat to you about this. Thank you. Pleasure, Chris.